I have some really exciting news for listeners of the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Most people think lifestyle investing is about making more money or creating additional passive income streams. And while that is part of it, the most savvy lifestyle investors understand that having a solid tax strategy is fundamental and really foundational to creating wealth. I firmly believe that having the right tax strategy is the single best investment that you can make. I know tax strategy isn't the sexiest topic, but once you understand a few key elements to the IRS playbook, the compounding benefit you receive year after year is enormously significant. In fact, we have members inside the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind who have used these strategies and have saved hundreds of thousands of dollars, and in some cases, millions of dollars. This is not a nice to have if you're interested in growing your wealth. This is a must. In our brand new tax strategy masterclass, I have hand-selected and shared the details of the 28 most valuable strategies to help you increase your tax savings this year and for years to come. Plus, if you want to hire a top-tier tax strategist, it can easily set you back tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. And you want to make sure that you have the best, most accurate information to ensure that you're hiring the right person for you. That's why we included a whole section with advice, resources, and multiple interviews with my personal tax specialists to help you build a bulletproof tax team, but for a fraction of the cost. The entire tax strategy masterclass was designed for people like you who want to keep more of their hard-earned money without having to sift through the complicated tax code. If you're interested, head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax to learn more about the course or set up a free consultation call with our team at lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. How do you transform a $600 startup into a thriving multi-billion dollar business that not only endures, but flourishes for decades? This remarkable feat is achieved by only a select few, and our guest on today's episode, David Green, is one of those exceptional individuals. David is the founder and CEO of Hobby Lobby, the world's largest privately owned arts and crafts retailer. Since founding it in 1972, he grew his company from its modest beginnings to an astonishing $8 billion empire employing nearly 50,000 individuals across 970 stores nationwide. David's business model places paramount importance on the well-being of his employees 
guided by his unwavering faith and a purpose that extends beyond mere profits. It is this unconventional approach that David attributes to the enduring success of Hobby Lobby. A tangible manifestation of his philosophy is evident in the fact that all Hobby Lobby stores close their doors on Sundays, allowing employees to dedicate time to their faith, family, and well-being. Moreover, Hobby Lobby's commitment to giving back is truly remarkable. The company generously donates over half of its annual profits to charity, all while maintaining a strong and sustainable financial standing. These decisions not only align with David's core values, but also serve as a testament to the fact that a business can thrive while remaining dedicated to its higher purpose. In this episode, you'll learn the story of how David built the most profitable private retail chain store in the country on a $600 loan, how David, despite being a billionaire, maintains a humble outlook and does not associate wealth with personal value, and the compelling reasons behind David's decision to give away his multi-billion dollar company. One more thing before we get to today's interview. I've got a special gift for Lifestyle Investor Podcast listeners. I'm sharing a PDF that highlights the 10 commandments of a lifestyle investor. In case you're unfamiliar with the 10 commandments, it's the complete set of rules I created and follow when it comes to evaluating every single investment I make. Things like reducing risk, finding invisible deals, creating immediate cash flow, income amplifiers, and a lot more. This one-pager is super easy to digest and acts as a great printout for anyone who wants to be reminded of what they should be considering when making investment decisions. To get access to this gift, visit lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash 137. Thanks for listening, and without further delay, my conversation with David Green. Well, hey, David, it's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining. Hey, it's good to be here with you. Yeah, this is fun. Well, I've been really looking forward to this session for quite some time. I know we've been working out the details here for a little bit, but I'm just blown away with all the things that I've learned from you that you've been able to accomplish over the years, wisdom that I've gleaned. It's just been a real treat to get to know you, and uh, I'm just excited to have you on the show. So thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, so I would love to learn a little bit more about you and about your story because you have figured out a lot of things in the world of business, in the world of finance, in the world of relationships, but I don't know that it started that way. Understanding what I know about you, you started from very humble beginnings and you started, like most entrepreneurs, from one spot, from one shop, one small location and kind of grew it from there. And I'd love to hear some of your story. Sure. You know, I guess the main thing I would say is I came from a pastor's home and that really gave me a tremendous uh, background of and uh, from a preacher's home and a mother and father that were really great, great examples for me. So that that's the foundation that I had. And you're talking about learning. I'm still learning in just about every area that you discussed. And so don't we all just learn all the time and we we still fail and we still hopefully we do it better tomorrow than we did yesterday. So that's kind of where we are today is still learning and 
But anyway, I, I had a tremendous background and with a, a father and a mother that were really people of integrity. I learned from them so much. But yeah, we, we were, uh, mom and dad pastored churches that were small, probably never over 100, and there were six children. So you can do the math on that if you want. It's, but in the same time, we saw God always uh, provided for us. We were always provided for. So we just saw God's miracles and provision and what he had done for our families. So that really gave me a lot of faith in him and, and to serve him and to give him glory for all that we do. So that was a good start in my life, is my is my upbringing and my heritage. Well, I love that, and I feel very blessed in the fact that I grew up in a Christian household, and my parents are very strong in their faith, always have been, and I grew up going to church from the youngest of age that I can remember. And there's actually kind of an interesting story that I'm going to get to a little bit later about a church right down the road from me, but I'll save that here for a little bit because I want to explore more of your story. And I just think that what a gift it is to learn foundational life skills, foundational skills, I mean, just foundational lessons in faith at a young age that no matter what type of storms come, you can weather those storms, right? Adversity, I think, can impact you a little bit differently when your mindset is a little different, when you come from a place where it's not all up to chance. Would you agree? I would definitely agree. I think for all of us that are Christians, if we really believe that the Bible is God's Word, we have such a foundation that we can work on. And so my life, I want it to be. It has not always been that way, but I really want the foundation of who I am and what our family is, is God's Word. And so sometimes people talk about wisdom. Well, if I don't know how much wisdom I have. I, maybe none at all, but I do have God's Word that really gives me a solid foundation on how to guide my life. And God has left us with His Word, and that's what we think is so beautiful and what we love so much. And so we've spent a lot of our time and effort just seeing that everybody has God's Word. Well, you've done a great job over the years of being very vocal about where you stand and how firmly you are in your faith. And it has shown up in the way that you run business. I think most entrepreneurs really try to maximize the dollar. They really try to cut expenses as much as they can. They try to grow profits at any cost. Unfortunately, I think most, most entrepreneurs are that way, especially when they're being backed by money and they're on the proverbial treadmill, someone else's treadmill, right? But you've done it a little different. You've got this incredible company that everyone knows the name of. It's a household name in Hobby Lobby. As a child, I shopped there for my arts and crafts. My daughter today shops there as a 10-year-old for her arts and crafts. And you have really created this framework of hiring great people, paying them well, because I think your minimum wage is like something in like the 1850 range, and then you don't work on Sundays. The store is closed. That's correct. And so I'd love to learn more about your thought process there because people had to tell you that you were nuts to do that, right? Yeah, and I tell people sometimes there's so many things we've done that was completely against main Bible, I mean, biblical principles that says, no, this is not the right thing to do. And so I always have to tell people when you do that in every case, I want to tell you something that might surprise you. It costs. You know, it costs money to be closed on Sunday. It costs money. In the last two or three years, we stopped selling Halloween, and we were selling tens of millions of dollars. 
It costs money for us to sue the government. There's a lot of things that I can tell you that it costs when you do something. But if something doesn't cost, it's not worth much. But on the other hand, I said, in the bigger picture, in the bigger picture, I think God wants it that way. I mean, if we did everything because we were going to make more profit by closing on Sunday, that would not be the right motive. We closed on Sunday because we just thought it was the best thing for our employees to be off and go to, to church. So I think he wants us to do things like not selling Halloween. He talked to us about that. That's up to you if you want to sell it. But for us, we felt like we needed to be out of it. But I just use those as an example. So there's so many examples when it looks like it's going to cost almost every time it does. But at the same token, God has blessed us beyond anything that we could expect, expect in the bigger picture of things. So he has blessed us to try to follow after him and do what we know that he would have us to do. Yeah, it is great seeing you, you said earlier that you're still learning today. And, and I feel very much the same way that I am an eternal student. I just want to learn. There's so many topics I want to learn on. There's so many people that I want to spend time with and learn from you being one of them. And I'm excited to come visit you and, and the headquarters here in a couple of weeks. I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled about that. But when I think about your business, I mean, the quote unquote, smartest of the smart people said your model would not work. You're giving away half of your profit to charity every year, half your profit to, to kingdom work every single year. This is not supposed to work. The Ivy Leaguers said it wouldn't work. The people doing case studies said it wouldn't work, but it seems to have worked really well. Because last uh, numbers that were out, I think you guys are at like 970 locations and 7.7 .7 billion in revenue. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the fact that it did work. Well, the only way we can explain it is God blessing us uh, for trying to give this thing to him, not giving it to him. Maybe that's the wrong way to, but acknowledging that he owns it. You know, the Bible is so plain. It says he owns everything. How can I own what God owns? We can't both own it. So if he owns it, then I'm a steward. And our lives is nothing but a vapor. So how can anybody own anything when their life is a vapor and God owns it? So here again, what we've tried to do is drill down on what does that mean to be good stewards? And as good stewards, we want to give the monies that belongs to God to him to do various ministry projects. And we get a tremendous amount of joy for that. So we're a company that has no debt, and grows every year. We've been growing about 50 stores a year until COVID. But by the way, we'll open our 100th store in about two months. So we have 100 stores. They're all paid for, no debt, and very, very successful. Closed on Sundays, closed at 8 o'clock, have the, one of the highest minimum wages. But it's all a God thing. And what God does for us is he sends us great people. So I have to give a lot of credit to a tremendous amount of people that we have here that makes all this happen. But I know we, we get those people from God and he blesses us with them. Well, I love the framework that you operate as an entrepreneur. I love that you put your people first and say, hey, let's look at the needs of the employees. Let's look at the needs of the people that run the company, not just the customers, not just the numbers that Wall Street and, and the publications are going to enjoy, but like the people that are really building the business. So I think that's incredible. A fun little story. I don't know if you know this or if you remember this. I'm sure you have some insight, but we've never discussed this. So I grew up in Elgin and I grew up right down the road from Safety Clean, 
right there. And they had their big headquarters. And somehow Hobby Lobby or you, maybe separate from Hobby Lobby, ended up owning this building that you ended up donating to Harvest Bible Church. And a ton of my friends go there. And that church has been hugely impactful uh, on many levels. And so I thought it might be fun for you to hear kind of the story go full circle from someone that uh, was profoundly impacted by your generosity. Yeah, God has allowed us to buy a few buildings at a very, very good price and then gift them. And so we have been able to do that over the years. And that's one of the buildings I do recall. It's been a few years ago, but I do recall that particular building. So that building for perspective, just so those listening and those watching have context, but that's a $9 million at that time, a $9 million facility and, and headquarters. And it is a gorgeous, gorgeous campus. And so I just, I love the work that you're doing in the world. I think it's incredible. And that's part of the reason I'm so excited to come visit you here in a couple of weeks in Oklahoma City at your headquarters to learn all about the cool things that you're doing with 150-year legacy planning. And I'd love to just chat with you about how you even came up with this idea or thought. I guess I've always thought in terms of, well, while I'm on earth, here's the impact that I want to have. And then I sure hope that I have modeled this well and put some parameters and frameworks into place so that my family does the same. But you've actually structured it in a way where you can let some of your charitable giving and some of the the passions that you have carry on long after you've passed from this life. Correct. Actually, what we've done is we have everything we own, the companies, the investments, everything we own is in 100% is 1%. And there's seven of us that sits on a board that we are stewards. We're not owners. We're stewards. So I owned 85% of this company at one time, but now I'm one vote of seven. And that's all I have. And that's all I want. Because if I'm not here tomorrow, very little changes. You know, someone else takes my place on a board. So we had to be on this board. You have to be people that love the Lord and are godly people and will guide what belongs to God in the future well. So we want to be good stewards. That's our key. He owns it. We want to be good stewards. So we only see ourselves as stewards. And once a month, we come together and decide what we're going to do with the profits, which we give half of our profits away and have for about 25 years. And then we decide on um, the family decides on what they want to do. But I always also say, if you don't have family members that can be on a board, it's not going to don't use family board. Family's good if they're right. But if they're not wrong and they're not people that love the Lord and want to do something to expand the kingdom. And that's what we want to do. We say there's only two things that's eternal, and that's God's word and man's soul. And so we want to commit ourselves to those things. We can spend a lot of our time doing things that just doesn't matter a hundred years from now. So we want to make sure what we're doing is going to make a difference in people's lives. Do you love the podcast and the book and wonder what the next step should be on your lifestyle investor journey? For a limited time, my team is doing free personalized consultation calls to learn more about your goals and determine which of our courses or masterminds will help you get to the next level. Whether that's to make your first investment or to create your first income stream of passive income, or whether that's to achieve ultimate financial freedom. If you'd like to reserve a spot, 
Head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation to book a free strategy session while they're still available. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. Yeah, that's absolutely powerful. And and so in 25 years, you've given away half your profits. What does that total come out to that you have given away? Well, that's one question uh, that I don't know that I would go with, but let me just say it's in the billions. So it's it's a wow. lot. And so we try to be careful in this. The Bible says, don't let one hand know what the other does. And we think about that, but we also think about how that we want people to know what God has done and how he's blessed us in a big way. So there's a reason for us saying that God, we give 50%, and that is to tell people, look what God has done. I think when we're saying, look at what we're done, we're in trouble, and we never want to do what we have done, but we don't want to do that. We want to say what we've done is because God has blessed us, and to encourage others to do the same, and that is to do something because not because they want to be personally blessed, because they get joy of bringing people to know Christ, and that's the end, the end game for us, is tell more people about Jesus and have more people that accept him as their personal Savior. Mm, that is powerful. and. It's really fun to think that I believe you started with your first craft shop back in 1970 and with a loan, right? A $600 loan? Yes. We borrowed $600 to make frames in our garage in 1970. And in 1972, we opened our first store in 72. Two years later, we had sold enough of these frames to have about five or $6,000 worth of merchandise in a little store that would be the size of a living room, little old store here in Oklahoma City. So our store was in 1972, our first, and it was a very, very small store. Our first full year, we did $36,000. So do the math on that. That doesn't hardly take care of the payroll. Wow. But we kept buying and selling frames out of our garage are selling frames, making and selling frames. And the profit that we made from that, we pumped into the retail because that was our love, not manufacturing. And manufacturing is really the way we got started, but our love was retail. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, to go from 300 square feet to all the different locations that you have today. And obviously, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't know is you're still very active in your role today. I remember when our mutual friend Pete Vargas introduced us and and you spoke with our group, The Wellspring, you said, hey, I'm involved in the business and I love having involvement in the business. I still love making decisions and I love involving God in the decisions that I make, even when they seem like really small decisions. Well, one of the things that I always like to make sure people understand, we really think you need to be, when you have a lot of kids, you need to have a balanced life in terms of of your life. And that's what we try to get our employees. That's why we're closed on Sunday. We work five days a week. I work six days a week because my wife is busy. She says, it's okay. I tell her on Saturdays, if you feel like a widow, just call. I'll come home. I don't have to be here. But I love working. And our kids are grown. They're not. A, they're away from home. So I'm not a perfect example of the amount of hours someone should work, especially if they've got kids at home. But anyway, we enjoy it. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. And I want to eat, so I'm going to continue to work. So And I need a job. So people need something to do, golf, fish, something. But my whole thing is just coming to work and, and finding something to do here. So that's what I love to do. 
Well, one of the cool things beyond work that I've observed you be part of is a group called He Gets Us. And you're one of the the donors in this group, in this, this charitable movement. And one of the cool things that was seen this year on the Super Bowl were a couple of different commercials sharing that. And I'd love to hear your thoughts behind that and what it is today and how you were able to get a couple of Super Bowl ads being the most expensive uh, advertising to purchase. Well, it's important to, for me to say that there's a lot of people that contribute to this and that are part of it. Because the thing that we want to happen is for someone to see themselves in Jesus and not a third person. So there's a lot of people that are Christians that have contributed in a part of this. So that's very, very important for me to say, because we want to tell people or the those that are involved in that want to tell people that there's someone that loves them and that gets them. And so we were definitely part of that of with thousands, if hundreds, if not thousands of people that have come alongside us. But we really feel like that this that we need as a group of Christians to tell 350 million people, 350 million people that he cares about you and he gets you. And that's what he gets you means. He gets you. He understands you. He has some of the same problems you did. And so that that's very important for us. And so this program, we don't think is a sprint, but it's more of a long term thing that we want people to continue to know that he gets us. And so that's the idea. What we are known as, as Christians, we're known as haters. We're beginning to be known as haters. We hate this group. We hate that group. But we're not. We are people that have the very, very best love story ever written. And we need to tell that love story. So our idea is let's tell the story. As a Christian, you should love everybody. Jesus loved everybody. He died when we were yet sinners. And we just want everybody to know, we being those that are involved, which is a lot of people that want to tell people that he gets you, he understands you, and he can be your friend. And when you have problems, there's someone you can go to, and you can get receive eternal life through the death of our Christ. So that's the story that's being told. Well, it's incredible seeing just everything come together from the standpoint of, of like, even how, how do you market that? How do you bring the teams in that can create a commercial that uh, can be captivating, that can kind of grasp all the different things that you're looking for in a short, what, 30-second window? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's really amazing seeing that creativity. And so I, I kind of knew about these commercials ahead of time, and so I was looking forward to seeing them and spotting them. And even I was unsure until the end, like, was that the, was this the commercial? Was that it? So I feel like it was a job well done. Someone says about after, I think it was two or three days after the uh, Super Bowl that the, uh, he gets us ads were talked about more than all the other ads combined. So that's good. We want people to talk about and, and to understand that he gets us. And, and I think God has given the group that has put this together, I think the really right words. And I think the right words is he gets us. So there was a lot of time spent in marketing and how do you reach the people? Think about, for instance, uh, New York City. The metro area has 20 million people. If you ever drive in there and you says, do these people know Jesus? Do they have anybody even told them about Jesus? And so how do you reach 350 million people without the media? 
It hasn't been done. We think it needs to be done. And hopefully with a tremendous great number of people that coming together, we can tell 350 million people they're going to at some point or the other on a billboard someplace, they're going to find out there's someone that gets them. Well, you've got depression at an all-time high. You've got anxiety at an all-time high. You've got just so much unrest in several different categories that we could go into from the standpoint of financial markets, the banking industry, racial inequality. Like, There's just so many different things going on that uh, and even, you know, we're in another political year, political season. So it's like you're, you're feeling this tug, this pull. There's there's just so much happening. And I feel like what better time than now to kind of give people a message that has joy attached to it instead of the sorrow, the grief, all the things that I think we see on the news for those that watch the news. I stopped watching the news a long time ago, but I love that the He Gets Me campaign is is going strong and giving people an outlet. They need hope, and we have hope in him. And so that's that's what we believe we need to be doing now because the suicide rates, everything you said is true. We're living in a time when we don't know up from down. I mean, our we, we're just pulled. But there is one person that gave us God's word that can guide us. And this is what uh, we, we, we believe God can do and Christ can do in, in people's hearts. You recently wrote a book, and I've got it right here, Leadership Not by the Book. Right. And so we got a chance to kind of dive into this book a few months ago as it came out. And, and uh, I'm just really impressed with the quality of content in here. But I would love for you to share kind of your thoughts and why, why now? Why write a book today when you've done so much already? I love that you did but I'd love to hear your story around it. Well, there's quite a few different uh, chapters in there that I think that I really wanted to to speak to the public. And I said, one of the greatest things is people that have, God has blessed a lot and to let them do something besides just pour themselves in some sort of world that they don't need to be in. The Bible also tells us that we need to be content. Are we content or do we need another house? Do we need a bigger boat? What do we need? I think God wants us. I've, I learned this from my parents. I think if you gave my mother a million dollars, she would have given it all away because she was content with her life. She was very, very successful, not in the dollar and cent things you see today, but in the terms that she was, she was, she knew where she had hope. She knew where she was going at the end of her life. She had a marriage that lasted for life. She had children that served to God. She was very, very successful. And that's what real success is. So in this book, hopefully we talked about what real success is, and it's not millions and billions of dollars. And so we really want those that all of us, whether we have a lot to give or not. See, we all have something to give. Sometimes it's time and it's it's influence, different things that each one of us have to give. We have something different. God has created us different, but I think he's given all of us purpose. What is our purpose? And so hopefully in this book, someone, if they haven't found their purpose, knows that God has a purpose for their lives and they can make a difference in other lives. Sometimes I say, and I don't know I should be saying this on, on media, but sometimes I talk about the book that says good to great. I haven't read the book. I have to admit it. But someone says there's nothing eternal about it. So I would have to say it's good to better. Okay. I don't see anything great that doesn't matter a thousand years from now. 
So what we want to do and what I think this book spells out is the fact that we need to do something. There is a purpose in our life. We need to find it and we need to get on with it. And so hopefully we can all do that. And we are trying to do that here. What does God have for us and what can we do to uh, tell more people about him? Mm. Yeah, that's great. And and are there other actual lessons or I guess you you outlined a few things in the many different chapters that that stand out. Were, were there things to you that were really close to you personally, things that maybe you observed like, hey, society does it this way, yeah. but biblically, I know to do it this way. Yeah, there's several of those in there. I can't pull them up right now, but I can think of one or two. For instance, I think just those that are employed for us. I think at one time God just said to me, you know, I put these people in your charge. So how can I be an example to them? And I told people, if I only had one dollar, I would give it to my help before I give it in in some to missions as an example. So I really think that in this book, you'll find out it's very, very important for us to come alongside those people that have made all this happen. So we're very, very focused on the people that have brought us here. And we know that they, with God's help, has brought us to where we are. So I think we go into that a little bit and different areas of, of just business. Of We talked earlier uh, just about doing what's right, regardless of the cost. Because I think in the book, I've talked about several different things that I knew going in, it was going to cost me. I had a property that I had a 15-year lease and after five years, I had to leave because gangs would just come in and, and it was putting people in harm's way. And I had 10 years left on the lease and I had an alcohol company uh, that was willing to take me out of it. It was a wholesale liquor company. And I said, no, you know, I paid for that lease for 10 years. So I did the right thing, but it cost me for 10 years. That's one of those things that I talked about that sometimes you do the right thing and it costs, but I all have, but I have to come back to say, God, because we do that, I think blesses us in the bigger picture. So there's a lot of those stories in there that we put together. That's how God has blessed us when we've done the right thing. Just do the right thing. And that's what we've tried to do. Not that we always have, but we're really, tr we're trying to move into that direction. Well, there are a lot of chapters in here that really spoke to me. I mean, I love this. Put your employees first, not your money. You just talked about that. Drive family practices, not profit practices. I love that. You've already hinted through that throughout today's episode. But I'll tell you, the one that really just resonated and I guess just made me sit back and contemplate life more than anything else, any other book I've read, and I don't know, most of my life, you had a chapter here, build for 150 years, not just the next generation. And I got to tell you that that chapter kind of messed me up. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I sat there. I mean, my mind is still racing today about it. I've become obsessed with it's interesting, like part of me was like, well, I don't want to give the wealth that I've created away to my family if it's going to or all of it or even part of it, if it's going to cripple or hinder them or enable them in any way. But then part of me always felt like, well, I can solve that by just giving it away. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're giving it to a charity or an organization that's going to steward that money right either. Like they may not be equipped to do that. And so 
This has been a pretty powerful topic, subject. I mean, just thing I've been wrestling with this. And so I'd I'd love to just hear your thoughts on it, especially before I come out and hang out for a couple of days with you. But what you are saying is you want to be a good steward. You're concerned about where the money goes. And so that's why we call it the Green Stewardship Trust. We're stewards. It belongs to God. And what would you have us do with it, God? And so we have about 300 requests for money every month or approximately. So there's a lot going on. So once a month, we know what we're going to vote on before we vote. There's seven of us. We pray about it. We come together. We, it's not like we've done everything perfectly. But I would say that we would, our family would say 95% of what we've given to the last 25 years, we're okay with. We've been with companies like One Hope for 25 years that have given a billion kids the gospel. Every Home for Christ, we've been with them about 25 years. It's given a billion homes the gospel. So we're very, very pleased and have joy in what we've done in our finance. But you can give to organizations that you're just wasting your money. So we're asking God for guidance. It was his before we earned it. It's his after we earned it. The same. So now we've got to steward it. So we need to take and we all need to take very serious what God is entrusted on us to be good stewards of what we have and not just our finance but our time our influence all the things that we have because we have different things to give and so we just want to be good stewards and that's why we call it the green stewardship trust god help us and also the bible says in a multitude of counsel their safety so we think there's a lot of safety coming together sometimes i go in these meetings and i know what we got to vote on and i cry even before we get started i don't know what to do But every single time when we finished and everybody gets to speak, everybody's an equal, we're really pleased with what we're doing, what God has given us. So I think there's a way that you can gift what God has given you in such a way you feel like God is also with you and with your decisions. Yeah, that's such a a profound way of kind of looking at everything. And it's interesting, like if for those that have wanted to be charitable or have done any sort of due diligence on charities, you will find that the vast majority of them have an overhead that's 40 to 70% of the dollars that are donated. Uh, And some of them, I I mean, I've seen some that it's like 90, 95%. So basically, you're donating money for them to have a charity, but not do anything with the funds that are being donated. And it's really a shame So not only do you need to do, you know, I talk a lot about doing due diligence and doing your research and your homework on companies you invest in and and whatever the investment vehicle is. But on the charitable side, it's the same way. There are good charities. There are bad charities. There are charities run by people that have great integrity. And there are charities, unfortunately, that are run by people who do not. And so, yeah, that's important. What I love about the way that you've gotten me to think is that instead of entrusting it all to one charity or 10 charities or 100 charities, instead, it was this framework that I hadn't looked at before, which is why don't we create a trust, an entity that can house this, where we can set up the framework, we can set up the structure, we can set up the the guardrails, and we can put in play people that can help make these decisions. So instead of the money not being used in its highest and best use, it can do so long after we have left this earth. And that has just been uh, 
so inspiring and so captivating and so motivating for me. So I just want to thank you. Well, one of the things we do also is because there's literally thousands of charitable organizations out there, hundreds of thousands for that matter. And so we feel like God has guided us to do a few things in a larger way. I mean, just we're involved with He Gets Us. That's a larger thing. One hope is a billion kids. How do you do a billion kids in 25 years that has the gospel? How can that be wrong? We're also involved in getting all the translations of all the the languages that uh, we among uh, tons of people want. There's 6,000 languages, and the Bible says preach the gospel to every creature. How do you do that without the gospel? So you need translation done. So there's projects like that, God's Word, that's one of our main projects. So we have a few that we're deeper in, but we still do some smaller things. But probably 85% of our finance goes to probably seven or eight different ministries. But these are ministries, in most cases, we've been with many, many years. We know who they they are. None of them probably spend more than 10% for management and, and overhead. So those are the things that you're talking about that's very, very important. If you, you're not a good steward, if you're paying for some, some ministry that spends 90% or even some crazy number. Yeah, there's no doubt. And it's interesting in this, I mean, gosh, I could go so many layers deep. Let me just kind of create an analogy here, because on the investment side, I talk a lot about investing with my community. It's something that I've been active in for about 25 years. And more specifically on the private equity and alternative investment side for about 15, a little over 15 years. And so I always kind of look at these investments as a portfolio, certain allocations to certain things. And it's interesting because if you look at the charitable side, there's a certain amount that I think when you're entrusted with the responsibility of great wealth, you are in turn entrusted in how to make sure that it's going to other things. Like we can't just be consumers. We can't just keep consuming the more that we have. We need to be giving and we need to be charitable and we need to make sure that money doesn't have a grip on us. And so when I think about like charitable giving, you could almost look at it like the investment side where you've got a portfolio and you have maybe your largest holding with this company, but you want to spread it out over these different niches, right? We've got some for us, it's important on the human trafficking side. And you've got this here, which is clean water. And this is really important because so many third world countries don't have clean drinking water and a lot of dangerous things happen on the way to getting the water. And, you know, you've got over here this this charitable organization that helps out right here in the United States and this one that helps out over abroad in various different countries. And so I love taking the charity side and kind of making it more like a portfolio. And you can look at it as like a portfolio of impact. Yeah, you think about the Bible and we think about all the things God has asked us to do, like we feed children and we drill water wells. But in every case, we also bring talk about Christ. You can drill water and people never tell people about their eternal life. That's just their vapor life. Our vapor life is real short. Then we have an eternal life. And why would you help someone in their vapor without taking it to another level? So we never get involved with feeding children. All the things that God has asked us to do, we want to do that. But there's also something that really, really gets us exciting. And that is the Bible says, preach the gospel to every person. 
And so that's one of the biggest challenges he's given us. And by the way, we're just going to take care of the hungry and the thirsty just because we're Christians. That's just natural. But we ought to also be smart about it by talking to them more than just giving them clean water, but also talking to them about their eternal life. Yeah, that's great. So I hesitate to even ask you this question because I know one of the things that you don't want is to draw attention to yourself. But at the same time, what you've been able to accomplish, it's going to be hard to not draw attention to yourself. So I'm going to ask you uh, a question here because it, it pertains to just the fact that for years you've been on the Forbes billionaires list. You've done well in the world of wealth creation. You've done very well in the world of giving it away. But I also think that today there's almost this this culture or this feeling like maybe only the wealthy or only wealthy people should be giving or providing or are they are they giving enough? I know you're completely generous and charitable. My my big question to you is do you need a lot of wealth to be charitable both with time with with money with like for you when did it start when did you begin this because i think i hear people say all the time well yeah when you have great earthly riches it's it's easy to do that but it's actually not if you haven't been doing it early on like if it's not a a habit that's kind of foundational it's actually not easy it actually can become harder from what i've observed in my life and in the life of those that I know that I'm close with that that have amassed great amounts of wealth. Yeah, I would argue in most cases that if you don't give when you have a small amount, you're not going to give when you have a large amount. And there's a lot of people that are more charitable that give a lot less. You think about the the scriptures that talks about the widow that gave what she gave. She gave more than the rich man. So God sees things so much different than we do. And so I just want to know that we're just doing what God would ask us to do. But I, I think that if you can't give when you have a small amount, you're probably not going to give. And by the way, maybe you have a small amount because you're not giving. That may be the reason. Mm. You know, Maybe you're not paying your tithes. But wealth also has to be redefined. Wealth is not a lot of money. I said that earlier. My mother was wealthy, but she had very little. Think about a marriage that lasts forever. Think about all of your children serving the Lord and your grandchildren. Think about when you're dying and you've got your daughter holding you and says, do you see them? Do you see them? And she says, what is it? She said, angels. That was a wealthy mother. Okay, a billionaire would love to die the way my mother did. So I don't see wealth as a lot of money. It's a lot of responsibility. But God says too much given as much as required. So it's required of us. But all of us can be generous with whatever God gives us. Sometimes it may be, as we said earlier, our time, our talents, our influence, different things that we all have that we need to be charitable and give back to God what he's given us. Mm, that's powerful. And even just the reframe of, hey, maybe you're not wealthy because you're not charitable or you're not giving what's been entrusted to you. I often say within my community and the lifestyle investor community that at any level, like all of us are top 10% of the world of income earners at every level, right? Like if, if you are here in the land of the free, you know, if you are in a first world country, you are already so much further ahead than, than most people worldwide. So we all have been blessed 
but it takes a different way of looking at it to recognize it, it's really easy to always want what other people have or what you don't have. It's a lot harder to recognize how great you have it. And you mentioned this early on when you talked about contentment and that being like, I, I mean, that that's one of the things that I work so hard to feel and be and, and live a life of contentment. And so th- anyway, what I say to my community all the time is if you can't give at whatever level you're at, then money has a grip or a hold on you, right? You don't own money. Money owns you. If you cannot give of your money, then it most certainly owns you. And so I have found early in my career, I didn't give. Then I didn't give much. Then I didn't give joyfully. <laughs> and so it's it's like every iteration, I'm being refined and, and resharpened to the point that now I can give. I can give joyfully. I can give generously. And I want to help other people experience it because there is some so much fulfillment in being able to provide that way. And everyone has the opportunity to experience it. That's good. That's good. And one of the things we got to remember in the Bible, no matter how much you make, the Bible, I think, would ask us to pay our tithes. It's the only place in God's Word that says, give it a shot, try me and see if it's <laughs> not true. It's the only place in the Bible. And my parents did that. My parents when I was raised in the, in the 40s, people would bring tithe in their vegetables because they it was they had vegetables but not cash. And my mother and dad would write these things down to pay tithes on them because it was increase. They want to pay tithes with the increase. And I saw how wealthy they made them. Not the way world seems wealth, but the wealthiest thing for me is when I pass away to know my children are serving the Lord and have the marriage that God has given me for 62 years. So God has given us wealth in that respect. And that's the greatest wealth we have is our children serving the Lord, our grandchildren serving the Lord and the marriage that uh, that we would all we all want. And by the way, there are no perfect marriages. I haven't had one, but it, it has in the bigger picture. God has blessed us. Well, I just hope that I can even have uh, a small fraction of the abundance that you've experienced across the board from marriage to family, relationship with your kids, relationship with your grandkids, a knack for entrepreneurship, a a knack for loving people well. And it's really just inspiring, David, I've got to tell you. And even just introducing me to Bill High, who works hand in hand with you as a good friend, but also helps run your estate and has done some incredible stuff. I mean, that guy is a wealth of knowledge. And I feel blessed that I've gotten a chance to have several conversations with him that I think are really shaping the direction that we're going as a family and and some of the family values. And really, it has just been such a blessing to get to know you, to have you on the show, to learn some of the things that you have learned and for you to just be willing to share of your gifts the way that you have so freely. So I want to thank you. You're welcome. Enjoyed it. Well, I hope that we can have more people in our audience learn more about you and learn more about Hobby Lobby and more about your book. So where can people go to, to find out more? The first place you had to go is to Hobby Lobby store. Okay. But if you can't find it there, would you Better, but anyway, you can get it just about anywhere. Amazon, yeah. Well, I love it. Any final words that you'd love to share as we wrap up our time here together? 
No, I don't think so. I uh, enjoyed talking to you. And I think uh, when I talk, I always like to make sure that uh, all of us need something as a foundation. And I want for me and my family to be God's word. And uh, not that I got it right. I have it right all the time. But I think it's so important for us to stand, have something to stand on. Because if we have not the scripture, and if we don't believe this is God's word, we're out here and never, never land. And so uh, I don't want to be there. And so I appreciate God's word. And that's why, by the way, the museum, that's why we are working to get 6,000 languages is God's word is so important to me. And one of these days, maybe I'll get it right, but at least I know where I can go to find out how to guide my life. I love it. And what you're talking about is the museum that recently opened in Washington, D.C., right? I think back in 2017, there are... I'm not sure if this is many families or if this is just your family, but I know that you have been a, a huge advocate of this and, and really it's the Museum of the Bible. So do you want to share anything about that before we wrap up? Well, my youngest son is the one that was is a chairman of the, that organization. So we were a lot of people came alongside helping financially to put the, the museum together. But the reason it's there and you ask for last words, last words for me is God's word. And so it's so important to us that we wanted to put it on a shelf. You know, if anybody studied anything about some of our colleges like Harvard and Yale, they started out that way, but they, they've warped away and they're as far away from God as they can possibly be. And so our life and my life and hopefully all of our lives is about knowing from whence we got was created knowing our creator but we really think the bible is so important to run our lives that's i tell people i have no wisdom outside of what god's word is god's word is the wisdom that helps us to guide our lives and so we love it that's why the museum that's why we're working along with a lot of other people to have six thousand different languages that everybody has God's word. So those are the things that we really get excited about. And giving God's word to a billion children and giving God's word to a billion homes. So when the really bottom of us and who we are is about God's word, which takes us to eternal life. So those are the exciting things that we get involved in. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share all these great things with us and share your story and share your faith and share the journey that you've been on. So it's been wonderful. I love ending every episode that I do asking a question of my audience. And that really is, is a simple question, although I'm going to tweak it for the first time. I'm going to tweak it. What I normally ask, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. So normally, I just I want to know what people's takeaway is and getting on their path to financial freedom. I actually want to know both that for financial freedom and spiritual freedom. So what is holding you back? What's holding you back from financial freedom, from spiritual freedom, from the freedom that you deserve? And what did you learn in today's episode to help you conquer this and you really kind of check off this milestone in your life? I'd love to hear about it. Send us an email. We'd love to support you. But thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. Yeah, good. Very good. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who would benefit from this episode, would you mind sharing it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. 
If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all resources mentioned, visit www.lifestyleinvestor.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor. This podcast is being made available exclusively to financially sophisticated, high net worth individuals capable of evaluating the merits and risks of investments. The material presented in this podcast is not intended to be investment advice or to recommend the purchase or sale of any security, nor is it intended to be legal, accounting, or tax advice. You should consult with your legal, tax, or financial advisor in connection with any material discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative nor a guarantee of future results. Certain materials discussed on this podcast may have been prepared by third parties, which have been obtained from sources that we believe to be accurate and current. However, we make no representation or warranty as to the accuracy, completeness, or currency of such materials.